Now we turn to a new series called At the Mountain. It's picking up where Pastor John left off some time ago in the book of Exodus. And I thought it'd be fun today to just kind of refresh you on where the storyline is. We're going to pick it up in Exodus 19, so you can begin opening your Bibles there. We're not going to read quite yet, Um, but I'd like to begin just by helping you remember where it is in the storyline, and also just thinking about um, some of the main characters. You can see from this image here how uh, the main character of Exodus, or one of the main characters, Moses, has been portrayed through the years in American movie culture. So he went from the 20s, being in black and white, um, through the years, and you can see just the way he's been displayed. For a lot of our children growing up um, in this recent era, The Prince of Egypt is kind of like one of the major kid movies of our time. And in this story, uh, it's funny because the, the movie ends with this scene right here, which is Moses overlooking the people of God after they've been delivered out of slavery from Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness, and Moses is standing. You can't see it that well in that picture, but he's holding the Ten Commandments in one hand, and that's where the story uh, concludes for that movie. Um, maybe one of the, the most um, iconic images is this movie, Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. He actually made the first one in the 20s, and then uh, what you know, color television came along, and this was made in Technicolor in 1956, and it was a, an, um, an office box smash hit you know, at, at the movie theaters. And I love just kind of the intensity there that Moses is holding up the Ten Commandments. And um, we'd like to move away from these Hollywood images that you have and turn to the biblical story. So I'd, I'd, along those lines, I'd like you to be thinking about what, what, um, what do you think of Moses and his role with the people of God, and what kind of have you added to the story that may or may not be there? Um, but we're going to be picking up in Exodus 19, like I said. So at that point, um, in Exodus 3, God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. God shared his name with Moses and said, Moses, you're going to go and release my people from slavery. I heard, I've heard their cries. And we're going to bring you back to this mountain, and they're going to worship you here. They're going to worship God here and serve God here. And Moses was promised that when he brought the people back to this mountain, that it would be a sign to him that God was leading him. And so the first half of Exodus is the rescue from slavery in Egypt to the wilderness. It's interesting, though, because in Exodus 19 all the way to the end of Exodus, actually all the way throughout some of the Old Testament, the people stay in the wilderness, and God prepares them to be in relationship with him. So I thought it'd be helpful um, to look at the dialogue that surrounds the Decalogue, the, the conversation that surrounds the Ten Commandments. I think we think of the Ten Commandments as, you know, okay, they were, they're, very famous even in our culture. Um, And they kind of stand on their own in a lot of the ways that we think about them. We think about them as rules for holy living. We think about them as somewhat applicable today, but we're not under the law because we have Jesus 
who has come to fulfill the law and to um, bring us to the Father. And yet, um, still today, they have this, the Ten Commandments have this role. So I thought today, more important than anything, is looking at the setting that the Ten Commandments come at. And it's around this theme of preparation. Uh, like I said, the people of God have been freed from slavery. They're wandering in the wilderness. It takes them three days, and then they're complaining to go back. They ask for God uh, to provide water. He makes the bitter water sweet. Uh, about a week later, he, he provides manna, and they live off of manna for their time in the wilderness. It's the sweet coriander um, seed flake that actually tastes good, but they grow tired of it pretty quickly, as we would. And, um, but more than anything, the strain that's running through Exodus that we should hold in front of us is this idea that God wants to know not only a man in his family— Abraham, but now he wants to know a nation. It says that um, when the Abraham's family line, when they went into Egypt, they numbered 70 total people. And after they had been in slavery for all these years, they had multiplied and were, um, had been very prosperous in terms of multiplying, even though they were under this yoke of slavery. So God saved them, he brought them out of slavery, and he delivered them. But about three months out of this in the wilderness is when we get the Ten Commandments. And three months, I think, is long enough to, for the new reality to completely have set in. And yet the, the imagery and the, the vivid remembrance of them being delivered across the Red Sea would still be in their minds. I mean, think about Easter. Okay, Easter was about three months ago. You can probably remember some of the gatherings that you had around Easter. If something special happened, you would remember it. But for the most part, it's in your past, right? Like you've moved on and the new reality has set in. And that's what, ha- what has happened with um, the people of God. They're in the wilderness and now God wants to prepare them. Thinking about this idea of preparation, how has God prepared you to know him throughout your, your history? What are the different ways, the different people, the places, the family lines, the different ways that God has orchestrated your life such that you are now, many of us, able to be in relationship with God through Jesus? How did he prepare you for that? think often we think, okay, we prepare ourselves to be in relationship with God. And yet scripture tells us that actually something's different. He's always preparing us to be in relationship with him. And that's what we'll see. So with that in mind, I'm going to read the story that surrounds the giving of the Ten Commandments. It's a long passage, but I think it's important just to read it in context So I'll remind you as I'm reading it, just be thinking about the way that God is preparing the people to receive this law and to be in relationship with him. And look at all the different ways that he has to navigate this with the people and bring them close to himself such that he can now relate to them through uh, the covenant and other things. Now, I, I won't be able to turn this into a movie by my reading so I'm going to ask you to stay with me 
try to take yourself into the story, set aside some of the imagery that you might have from something you've seen or heard before, and listen with fresh ears to this story that surrounds the Ten Commandments. I'll read the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, but our main focus today is the the bookends, either side of the story. So we're in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you, are, you shall speak to the people of Israel. Verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported these words to the Lord, uh, reported these words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, but the people, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. And be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sounds of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests come near to me, who come near to me, to the Lord, consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to, Mo, said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to those to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, When all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I have a picture here of Mount Moses, which is um, a mountain that bears the name of Moses in the southern Sinai Peninsula. And it's very unlikely that this is Mount Sinai, But it is likely that this may be the region that the nation of Israel was wandering during this time. 
And though this isn't probably the exact mountain, it's, um, I think, helpful to see it, to see something physical, and to just have this picture in front of us as a reminder that um, God showed up on a mountain and he interacted with people in a way that he hadn't done really since the garden. And this Mount Sinai is one of the um, most famous passages in all of Scripture. And I've been struck by it in the sense that I think it really demonstrates a lot of the principles that are still true in our walk with God today. I already mentioned the first one, this idea of preparation. Um, But right from the beginning of this text is another one called covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12. He said, through you, Abraham, if you leave your land and go to the land that I will show you, I will bless the whole earth through you. Not only that, you will prosper and become a nation. And here, God tells Moses to share a a covenant with now not just a man and his family, but a people group and a nation. So this covenant is different from the Abrahamic covenant in the sense that it's to a nation. But some of the truths in it are still um, a continuation of what was shared with Abraham. It's still the same family line. In fact, he says, Jacob, Israel. Jacob was renamed Israel, and he was told that you would be the father of this nation. And through him, we have the 12 tribes of Israel, and um, out of that becomes a nation. In Exodus 18, uh, Moses had to divide all the people into groups and a structure for um, divvying out justice because they couldn't agree with themselves. They had become this nation. And now here we have this covenant that God shares with Moses to share with the people. What struck, what struck me about this is how quickly the people enter into this covenant. They say, we wholeheartedly agree. Every word they, it says that with one voice they answer together, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. So what did they agree to? Well, the Lord told them, remember what I did to Egypt. This is a common theme. Remember what I did to Egypt. Also, remember how I bore you on eagle's wings and saved you? How I brought you to myself? That's what he says. He says, with that, with that foundation, remember this. If you will listen to my voice and obey my covenant, then you will be a treasured possession to me among all the peoples of the earth. Not only that, you'll become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the first time in the Bible that the word holy is used about people, God's created order, that he would make them into a holy nation. And, and I'm struck by it. They're like, okay, sounds good. We're in. We are every word of it. We're, we're, we're all for that. And we know from the story that they, they fall short, even in their own behaviors. And... Um, it reminded me of how we check the box, like when, we, when you sign up for a new phone and they're like, okay, we're going to mail you this phone, but first you have to agree to the terms and conditions of us sending you this phone. You actually own it now. As soon as you check this box, you own it. So if it gets lost in the mail, you're somewhat responsible for that. After checking this box, and these are the terms and conditions that we um, 
enter into, we, we sign our names electronically, right? I know one person I had a conversation with them, and they said that whenever they check a box with terms and conditions, they read everything that's associated with that. And I was amazed at that. I, I couldn't believe it, honestly. I mean, I've tried. I've started, and I've gotten like three sentences in, and I'm like, I think I got the gist of it. I'm, yeah, I'm checking that box. And that's what I did. And uh, I think that's what we all do at some level. But here, the Lord is entering into covenantal relationship with the people of God. And this all comes down to the fact that God wants to know his people, and he wants his people to know him. And it's still true today. The new covenant is actually revealed in Jeremiah 31. Jesus fulfills this new covenant that's in the blood of Christ. And it's an everlasting covenant that we are um, allowed to enter into because of what Christ has done. We are still, to this day, in covenantal relationship with God the Father through the blood of Christ and the sacrifice that he's made for us. So just even the principle of covenant is helpful. And this leads to the next idea, which is this idea of um, being consecrated. Several times the word comes up. To be consecrated is to be made clean or made holy, to set apart for a purpose. Um, There's a spectrum of God's holiness that is described over and over again for the people of God to encounter. And it's this idea that God is holy and his creation is different from him. We think of holiness as like being perfect, and that's true, or without sin, and that's true. But more than that, holiness is what God is and what we're not. That's, that's the essence of holiness. The, those other things I mentioned are true, but they don't capture the full picture of holiness. And this is why um, God said, okay, for them to come near me, they need to consecrate themselves. Moses, you go consecrate them. Have them go wash their clothes. Don't even have them be with their husbands and wives for the next two days. Have them get ready to encounter me on this holy mountain. And this is what consecrating is. It's setting apart for a purpose, for a meeting. That which is holy is allowed to be in the presence of God. For him to make them a holy nation, he needs to consecrate them. That which is clean can be in his presence. That which is unclean has to be set apart from him. And that which is abominable must be destroyed. And God's holiness um, is amazing because it doesn't change. In, in our very moment in time, I'll say an obvious statement that God is as holy as he's ever been right now. And His holiness is never being diminished to allow us to come a little closer. And in fact, um, it's quite the opposite. He is making us clean to be in his presence. And I've been wondering a little bit this week if um, because of our familiarity with Jesus, he's our friend. He called his disciples friends. He said, look, I'm sharing with you my father's business. 
I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And we, we kind of harp on that. Jesus is our friend. And there's some beauty in that. There's truth in that. But there is also a recognition that God's holiness is not any different than it was for the nation of Israel. It's just our approach of him is different. And I've been wondering about that, just the reality of that. Have we lost some, some awe and some reverence for God's holiness in our daily lives? That's a question. Not only did God have to consecrate the people, but he had to set the boundary. This is an interesting one. It says that um, he sent Moses down the mountain to establish the limits of where the people could go. And then this boundary becomes like an integral feature of the story. Um, At the beginning, he says, Moses, you established the boundary. Well, how do you establish a boundary around a mountain? Especially if it's anything like the picture we saw. How do you you decide where that boundary is going to be? And then how do you, you know, it it took people, it took effort, it took decision-making for Moses to do that. And then they said, once it's established... If anyone touches the mountain, you should actually stone them right away. Shoot them with an arrow. Don't even touch the person that touched the mountain of God in, in terms of where he's going to present himself to us. This is before he shows up in, in all his um, amazing ways. And then there's this interplay with the boundary on the mountain itself. Uh, Moses goes up to the mountain and God appears. There's this um, this site, there's thunder, lightning, there's fire, there's smoke rising, there's a smoke that surrounds. Is it a volcano? Is it a storm? There's trembling, the earth trembles. Is it an earthquake? Um, some theologians and people that are kind of do source criticism have kind of evaluated, well, what's happening here from like a physical standpoint? Everything is happening here. God is showing up at the top of the mountain, and he is physically manifesting himself to the people of God, and he has to shield himself. Such He says to them, he says to Moses when Moses goes up on the mountain, Moses, don't let them break through this barricade, this boundary that you set, lest I destroy them. And Moses is like, God. Moses speaks this to the Lord. He says, Lord, you already set the boundary. You already had me set the boundary. They're not going to cross it. And this is where I think what's happening is God knows his holiness, but he also knows what's in the heart of humanity. I love there's a passage um, early on in the Gospels that says that Jesus knew what was in the heart of man, but he didn't disclose himself to them at that time. And I think that what was happening is there was this barricade that was set between the people who were in the process of clean, unclean, clean, unclean, and and then there was this presence of God in this holy place. And have you ever been to an event where there's a barricade? And at the barricade is where the mass of people build up. So maybe you're at a parade or an event, and you're lining up at this barricade, and the density of the people at the barricade starts to bother you. You have, like, your personal space. You've marked out this space since early in the morning, and then people show up in the last minute, 
and they're just, you know, like taking up the space that you've marked out. And um, whatever the event is, in this case, it's God, God showing up. And there's a sense that, okay, there's a boundary here. Why are we, why are we, why are we staying at this boundary? Let's just push through it. Let's go see God. I mean, he's here. He's coming to see us. Because in humanity is this lack of recognition, this lack of respect that, oh, yeah, we can just be with God. Yeah, I've been waiting for God to decide. Um, I've been preparing myself to, to go see God. I'll, I'll, de- I'll believe God when, it's, when I think it's my time. Or I'll respond, you know, when I want to. And, and God in his holiness is, is recognizing this. And he says, don't let the people break through. And this is where we get to our last word, which is the word mediator. God very clearly is establishing Moses as the mediator between the nation of Israel and himself. Moses is a man. It's, it's quite an amazing story how this man would stand in the gap. But in verse 9, the Lord is setting Moses up to be this mediator. Not in a bad way, necessarily. Because the Lord says in verse 9, Look, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud. I'm going to be shielded so that the people may hear when I speak with you, Moses, and they may believe you, Moses, forever. And then on the mountain itself, as the trumpet blows and as the sound of God gets louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him. This man who, you know, before the Exodus was like, Lord, I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to speak. And here he is on the mountain of God speaking on behalf of the people. And then the Ten Commandments, and it's just this amazing scene which movies try to do justice to. And in verse 19, we have the conclusion. The people are so, um, they're so, they have this fresh awareness of God's holiness, right? And they're like, Moses, you speak to us. You speak for us. Don't let God even speak to us. Otherwise, we'll die. And this is the establishing of Moses as God's mediator, it's funny, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, you know what? God is raising someone up after me who's a better mediator than I am. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about how the prophets of God have spoken, but at this time, Jesus is speaking on behalf of God. In Hebrews chapter 3, it talks about how Jesus is a better Moses, taking us to a better mountain. In Hebrews 12, it talks about how The nation of Israel worshipped at this mountain, but God has brought us to Mount Zion, Jerusalem, his presence through Christ. This is a good reminder that we still need a mediator today. So I'd like to hold these words in front of us, these five words. This idea of preparation, I think, is a very helpful topic in the way that we approach God. How is God continuing to prepare you for what is in your life and the way that he's interacting with you in your life? Um, Are you living in the new covenant of his blood? Have you received Jesus as your savior and have you allowed Christ to make you holy and perfect, presenting you to the Father? And are you willing to um, 
recognize the boundaries of who God is and who you are. And remember that we still to this day worship a holy God. I think more than anything else, we can um, remind ourselves of that every day. And yet, Jesus' favorite words were, do not fear, don't be afraid. But let the fear of the Lord be set before you in a way that you have awe and reverence for him. In the Old Testament, like there was a spectrum of holiness, there was a spectrum of fear that went from terror to awe and reverence. So awesome is another word for fear, but to, to be in fear of God's uh, awesomeness is to be in awe of it, to have reverence for it, to recognize that it's by great sacrifice that you have been brought near to the Father through Christ. And I think it's amazing how we have this ancient text, thousands of years old, and yet it still um, can exemplify how to live in relationship to God and how all these things are still true and even more true in Christ. Jesus is a better Moses. He's a better Moses. He's a better mediator. He's gone up the mountain for you and for all of us as a people. So I'd like to just give you a few moments as we close with a song to bow your head and to um, just have a moment of silence before the Lord, to come before him with a simple prayer of that you need his presence in your life, and yet he's perfectly holy, and you need a mediator, Christ. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, I don't know how he's been preparing you for today or how he's prepared you through the years to encounter him. But um, I know that he has a great desire to have his people know him. So I want to give you just a few seconds of silence to offer a silent prayer before the Lord. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of 
hostility. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to speak to you in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for sending your spirit to be at work in us. Lord, your Holy Spirit at work in us. Lord, we're grateful for the way that you are unchanging in your perfection, your set-apartness, and yet we also are amazed, Lord, in the way that you bring us near and allow us to interact with you as our Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.